Welcome to Season 2 of I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Caraview. For Season 2, my guest hosts chose the record, and I'll be honest, sometimes I do not fucking love it. However, I did fucking love talking to each and every one of them about their choice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. The fix for today is Morphine's Cure for Pain. It was produced by Paul Q. Colderi and singer Mark Sandman and was released by Ryko Disc on September 14th, 1993. On the other mic today, he's free to direct a movie, to sing a song, or to write a book about yours truly. Welcome back to the show, Prague-based stand-up comedian Kiro Nushev. Thanks for coming back, Kiro. Hey, thanks for having me. How's uh, how's everything going over there in Prague? Uh, you know, same old, same old, fighting the virus, current, <laughs> everybody in a full lockdown, as things go like yeah there is like a glimmer of hope in the last few weeks because there has been announcement like of the all the uh, measures to kind of being being eased up i don't know if you follow this but uh, czech republic is kind of like statistic wise doing well as much as you know <laughs> as much as the numbers that we see can be kind of spinned as positive but it's fine you know I, I, I had a good time, uh, like, these few days. I was re-listening to the album we're going to talk about. So let's let's stick to that. That's been the nice part. People get to actually pay attention to the show. So <laughs> uh, so while we're on that subject, uh, how did this album enter your life? I have this vivid recollection that the first time I heard this album was not on radio or not uh, by that word of mouth, hey, check this out, or some local DJ. The first thing, uh, first time I heard this one was on... Uh, uh, 120 minutes. Do you recall that show? It was MTV Europe. I don't know if it was international, if you, if you caught that one in the States, but it was opening song in 120 minutes. Paul King, I think, was the VJ behind this whole thing. And, uh, I got that thing, uh, get, like, the first thing was, that what I heard was, needless to say, the single from this album, Buena. And, uh, that was that immediate connection with this album, that kind of like, oh, what is this? And this was, I have a clear recollection, this was the first time I heard it. Sunday evening, I think the show was from 9 to 11. And yeah, this is the first time where I heard this song, heard this song, and inevitably after that, the whole album. And this was one of those albums that kind of got a, you know, Morphine were established at that point of time, like this kind of indie rock gods, and all the alternative and a small radio station back home kind of picked up on this one, so... This was omnipresent everywhere. You can go to a bar, you can hear it on a, you know, local bar DJs. I have this recollection of a, <laughs> some drunken friend person on a party, kind of like, uh, uh, I think that it was the, the single from the album Buena, the first single like playing and like grabbing my hand. Is this jazz, man? Is this jazz? Like that kind of like uh, aggressive approach to this song, like... This is how it kind of entered in my life, this album. And uh, I don't know if I'm alone in this one, if it's the same case with you, but uh, actually this was the first album from Morphin that I heard. So uh, long, like for like a period of time was under impression like, okay, this is the first album, then Good is the follow back on that one, not the vice versa. This, this is actually... Uh, uh, follow back to, follow back to the, to good. Actually, the good is the test bed for this sound, for this kind of like fully grown and round up sound that is morphine and that is this album specifically cure for pain. So I got into them a little bit later. I had heard of the band and I wasn't quite sure 
if uh, I understood exactly what they were supposed to be. I think somebody had lumped them into that neo swing that was going mm. on, uh, which obviously is a travesty. So, um, <laughs> and a buddy of mine years later told me that he played this. He had played this for me, but I don't remember that. Uh, so my first real recollection of hearing this band was in 1999. I was working for Vinyl Fever, as I've probably said on this show like 10 million times. <laughs> and uh, that was when The Night came out, which was their final mm. album because mm. Mark Sandman had died on stage a few months earlier. Uh, well, maybe a, a year earlier at this point. And so they, uh, the album finally came out. And we had gotten a couple of promo copies. And so a friend of mine there was already into them. And so he was really excited about them coming out, uh, this album coming out. And I ended up with uh, a copy just to borrow. And the night, I was, it just blew me away immediately from track one. It was like, okay, <laughs> this is really good stuff. And because that was the first one I heard, that was sort of the imprint. So I can really recognize the songs on the night and we, and then I ended up getting most if not all of their back catalog because it wasn't a very deep catalog I think they only had what four or five albums four. that were released in that initial run and so with the exception of and like I really like uh like swimming because I think that mm-hmm. had a, a bit of a different sound but uh the stuff on good yes and cure for pain uh while great it really kind of mixed up for me because I listened to all of it kind of together so somebody had brought in their collection to sell and i think there was something like they didn't have front covers or something so they basically ended up getting next night i bought the entire catalog of morphine for about two dollars i think on cd uh because they just didn't have front covers but at that point yeah you know I i wanted to get it so and my i made a mix for somebody i think i made a mix for my folks because they loved the song uh top floor bottom buzzer mm, and so yeah. a lot of those kind of didn't really separate for me so it's been really fun going back listening to this album as an album uh and seeing all the pleasures that uh, are here with they're only their second one such so such a fully formed sound already that was uh, that was my my uh introduction to the band and then to this album a little bit later that's going to bring us into the track by track analysis. Now, uh, for those of uh, you who out there were listening and remember, Kiro and I had spoken about uh, Tom Waits's Blood Money. That was my choice. Uh, mm-hmm. This is his choice. So, Kiro, you're going to kick off the uh, track by track analysis. Side one, song one, Donna. What do you got for me? This is an intro to the album. This is the one that kind of sets up the mood, sets up the scene as we go. But, you know, this song is important for me because the. It's important for me. It is important to this album, although it's a snippet, it's something like 40, 50 seconds long. But in this song and in the last song of this album, uh, you will kind of you will hear that kind of like a, regardless that they have a build-up sound in this on this album, uh, they're doing that like artistic approach. They're trying to find something new. This is kind of like out of place with regards to the whole album. This is that's just a soundscape that kind of is experiment that leads up to everything. I don't think that this is kind of like necess- necessarily an opening to this album, which will, you know, we will address to the true opening later on, which is Gwena. But this is basically the same thing, like, uh, you know, this one and the Miles Davis funeral, the last one are basically experimenting with what should be the next sound. I mean, this band, you kind of um, mentioned it, that uh, there is some attribution... To, 
think you just said that, that there is that kind of like a one true line through this album. This was something that they were plagued with by the criticism throughout all those, the, the short run through the 90s they had. Basically, that uh, cynical approach. Do we need diff- four versions of the same album? Because that's the sound. Regardless that, you know, I would, you know, fight <laughs> to the dead that that's not true, basically. That, because like swimming, there is a different approach. Night is something completely different than yes, it's kind of like a progression from, from, from this album. But in this song, you can hear them that they're like actively trying to find that next piece that they need, regardless that they have already a masterpiece in their hand that they need to record. That's the intro. Yeah. So this is, is like you said, it's really short, only 44, 45 seconds long. And so as far as an opener goes, it's short like a teaser but it's on point sonically like a setup. So it's undoubtedly in that 44 seconds, it's, it's morphine. And for those who are not familiar with this band, it's, they're pretty unusual. It's a pretty unusual setup for a rock band. Uh, so Mark Sandman uh, plays a two, a two string bass. Yeah. Uh, as, as long as well as singing, uh, there's a drummer and there's a, a saxophone player. And I think he plays a couple of different horn instruments, but uh, mainly the saxophone. Baritone sax and tenor sax, specifically, he interchanges in the whole thing. That's Dana Coley, Dana Coley, and mm-hmm. Jerome Dupre, who is actually the, the, the original drummer. Uh, this was his last album, basically, with them. Yeah, uh, sorry to interject, but th- that is important because that baritone saxophone and tenor sax, it, you can hear them how they're actively uh, utilizing in the whole album because here's like again I, you know uh, if you recall from the last podcast that we did uh, i like to nerd out behind that like the music music part uh the baritone tone is uh, exactly the same as the uh, the sound baritone sax has the same sound tonally with uh, mark sandman's voice so when you when they like to emphasize that kind of like intermingling and merging of both like sonically they go with baritone sax and there's someone when there is like Dana Coley more up front when he leads the melody then you can hear the tenor sax which is more uh, uh, how to say this uh, more vivacious more more movable not so like lumping as it is it's an unusual approach for a rock band that uh, uh, yeah. occasionally you'll hear guitar but it's pretty rare um, I think there's one song with guitar that I remember on this album and I could even be misremembering that. So that's the, and it's, it's got this real kind of, like you had said, uh, there's, there's a little bit of jazz to it. There's a little bit of blues to it uh, while being completely just indie rock. And it's, and it's its own thing. I mean, there's, I can't think of another band other than Vapors of Morphine, which, (laughs) and Twineman, you know, uh, yeah, those two. Follow uh, backs. Yeah. Uh, which is basically this band minus the uh, the, the singer. So uh, yeah. it's it's really their own sound, and it's pretty impressive that they. And, but they were also able to to stretch that sound, as you had mentioned, on a few other albums. But not to get too yeah. far off, so we're going to run into track two, Buena. Well, track two is not really. Uh, it's not a punching you punch you in the face follow up, uh, but that's only because it, it does take its time to get cooking. But it's it's really good. This is a great song, and it's funny because yeah. I misheard the lyrics for a long time. It wasn't until we were do, getting ready to do this show that I was really looking at the lyrics that I realized I had heard the song incorrectly the whole time. So at the beginning, he says, uh, you know, like so, but it, just to kind of paraphrase it, he's like, you know, somebody's calling from the back, play something good, and then mm. he says, come a little closer to the stage. And I always thought he was calling the guy a pussy, 
I always thought he was saying, <laughs> you know, come here, little pussy, get closer to the stage, come, little pussy, uh, so I can see your face, which is a lot more aggressive than I remember this band really being. And then I read the lyrics, and that when I and I still hear it the way I heard it. <laughs> Unless I'm okay. reading along and then I hear it's like, you know, come a little closer. This is just, uh, there's a, a lot of great stuff going on in this song. This is just, it's a really fun song. I said it takes, it's you know, that the, the bass intro takes takes its time. So it doesn't feel like the need to to jump right in because of the uh, the teaser, you know, set up opener. Uh, yeah. What do you think about this one? Yeah, this song is, as I mentioned, this is the first one that I heard. And there's that aura of kind of like, coolness that kind of like a slow delivery the slow intro as you mentioned it like takes the the the, the bass takes the time because this song uh, genuinely is a blues riff blues song which is kind of uh, that's how the the whole song is painted but there is something in the back of this song i'm assuming this is like uh, the virtuosity of the of the drummer if you really go deep into the groove the drumming of this song the drumming is funk very very groovy very that kind of like uh, playful funk that kind of like where he accents everything like twice like listen to the drum and actually this is basically the song that i heard it was talking that it was all over the place people were dancing to this song this is a song that, that that's the groove actually that's the funk part of this song so again still my uh, one of my favorites to the, in this album well, we'll talk for for my real favorite, but this is, let's say, uh, the one that kind of like uh, teased me into to go deep into morphing. Come on, this is the one like that says that okay, come on, come on, come on closer to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, you pussy. I did not know that this is a part of the song, but I'm guessing. <laughs> well, it's because I just invented it myself, so you know, don't worry, don't, don't feel too. There we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah, I think he does a lot of fun stuff with the drums here, and they he really uses those small, splashy cymbals a lot more than you would yeah, generally hear yeah, yeah. Uh, in in other rock and roll songs like that. So, all right, so then uh, track three, I'm free now. What do you think about this one? Yeah, this is like a epitome of melancholy, of dreariness, like this kind of like a, a troubled feeling that goes into the now sax is here in the background. Is that kind of like a, uh, sounds like a deep apology, you know, Sandman being uh, very uh, that kind of like secretive about the uh, about the meaning of his song. I, I uh, remember when I followed their career, like in no interview you can find him that kind of like going deep into the kind of like artisanal, quasi-artisanal approach. Like this is what this means. Kind of like it is what it is. But uh, this one is that kind of like uh, apology to something. I like to think is apology to himself. Apology, you know. Uh, to something that he been through, like true poet, you know, he doesn't want to spin food us, spoon food us, that can feed us that kind of like uh, obvious part of the song. It's a song that plays in your head where it goes like, but that kind of, uh, there's a part of this song that is very masterful, that merge, that, that atmospheric bump that you get, atmospheric bump that you get, uh, and that part of the melody ever caused you pain, where this kind of, he merges together with the saxophone, this kind of, space that you get in the phone i swear to god when i hear it on a good headphones uh then the music it's not in my ears somewhere above my head that kind of production this goes back to to i'm assuming to the production of this album uh what was the name of the producer you mentioned him uh paul 
called Yeah. Yeah, this guy stands behind the tons of good albums from that era. But actually, this I found out yesterday when I was Googling him because, you know, as inevitably we went deep when we prepare for these things. And uh, I, I had that moment like, oh, this is his album. Oh, this is his album. Oh, I like this one. Like, okay, makes make, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so it really pulls back the the tempo, uh, which is not unusual for track threes. The, the track three yeah. I find uh, quite often. Uh, but I think with that first track being as short as it is, this felt like it came one track early for me, if that makes any sense. Because uh-huh. uh, I like this song, but I, I really wish this would have been placed slightly differently. Because it does bring this melancholy that you that you do occasionally mm-hmm. get from this band. So they're, they're not just a party band. They will bring some of the melancholy or the sadness at times. And I like because it starts, it's clearly a breakup song because he starts up with like, I'm free now, you know, so I'm free to direct a movie or sing a song or, or do whatever I want. And then, exactly. and that's obviously false bravado because what the next two lines later, it's something like, I'm really just a fuck up, <laughs> exactly. uh, you know, and at one point he calls himself a jerk and uh, this whole thing. So it's funny because it starts with what would be more false bravado, I think, if the music was a little bit more up-tempo. So you already mm-hmm. know that this is going to be a bit of a melancholy because of just the because of the approach of the horn and, and the, uh, the the music itself. So I, I like it, uh, but it's not one that I, I queue up mm-hmm. all the time, let's say. If I'm listening to the whole album, I don't skip this one, but this is I, I never want to just go here, I'm free now. As you're talking, the song plays in my head and... Uh, the thing that you mentioned, I'm free now, that kind of like a false bravado. To me, this song sounds like that kind of like, uh, I'm free now, he's entering the bar, and then as the text and as the lyrics progress, he's like, two whiskeys down, three whiskeys <laughs> in, that kind of thing. Like, literally, you can hear it in the song, kind of like, I'm a, such a jerk. Like, that's like the last call. Okay, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Wrap it up. <laughs> Time to go home. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's very organic. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's spot on right there. So on to track four, All Wrong. Uh, this one has got just a great groove. This one goes mm. right back into, and when, when this band is cooking, when they're really just, when, they're, when they get locked in, because it's just the three of them, and they manage to produce yeah. a lot of noise in a, in, a, in a good way, and when they find their groove, you get songs like this one. This is such a great tune. I think the, the solo is really interesting. I don't often mm. notice solos unless they annoy me. Uh, but it sounds like the it's like a the horn sounds like it's being played through like a, a guitar pedal or something. And I like the way his voice is tracked for the chorus. This is just such a, this is a great song. What do you think about this one? Yeah, uh, I concur. The, the sax is played through a wah wah pedal. That is obvious in the song, and uh, that's the thing I love about this song. Like it, the whole the whole thing is kind of like it has a groove. It's a, a love story, melodic, the text and the whole thing is, but. There are so many things that are not not uh, natural for this band, and one of the most unnatural thing is that kind of thing. Like you cannot play a wah wah pedal, guitar pedal to a baritone sax. That's un- un- that's not allowed. <laughs> but that's morphine, not allowed. But this, uh, the spirit of this whole album is that kind of thing. Like again, what I like to imagine. It's not an album that they went into the studio like written notes and everything. This is an album where they're like, you know, let's try to throw throw things at the wall if it sticks it sticks and this is one of those songs like wow this thing stuck this this the song is good like this is a keeper like i cannot uh i cannot kind of fathom the whole context like uh 
session musician, like experienced jazz musician, because sax players inevitably, they come from that background, to say something like against the sound. Let's try a pedal on this one, which is, um, as it is, every effect, guitar effect, especially those like from 60s, wah-wah pedals, distortions, are designed to kind of to confuse the music, not to let it go flow freely. So this is one of those songs. Unnatural one, but good one. So track five, Candy. What do you think about this one? Yeah, this is a good song. The driving melody, the background of the song is something that is very sardonic, very, very out of this world, my notes are saying. Like, I'm I, I lost for words, that kind of thing. There is that kind of like a punk rocky, simple driving melody that is behind this, uh, this song. And there is the sax part that is completely different song. It's kind of like uh, they're merged into one unison that is kind of strange, but at the same time it works because it's literally question and answer through all song, but they merge at the end and there is that kind of whole optimistic note to this song. It derives from that kind of the collusion of two sounds, uh, collision of two sounds that kind of uh, produced uh, something. Even when you when you hear in that kind of like uh, fillers, the background music, there's guitar popping in the background, there is some organ playing in that like uh, whole bunch of uh, noise that is in the middle of the song, kind of that goes from one to another. But I like this one. It's, it is it is a good song. It's a good song. Yeah, so it's obviously a person's name, uh, So, yeah. but it's also calls to mind, you know, sweets or maybe even addiction uh, <laughs> exactly. without trying to get too far in down the hole with the with the lyrics. But I, I like yeah. that it's a little bit open as far as that goes. And this song just has that real like you, boho feel to it. This is the kind mm-hmm. of this is the song that if you were making a movie and you were having a party and it was one of like a cool loft party. You put mm. this song on in the background and everybody knows, oh, it's a bunch of cool people, <laughs> whether they've heard the song <laughs> yeah. or not. But it just has that sound. And I really like how the bass is just really rubbery on this one, because usually because mm. it's just he's just playing a two string bass. And I think he's putting it through a guitar amp. And I'm sure there's some other modifications. It's a it's an odd it's an unusual instrument, obviously. It's a kind of a homemade yeah. thing. Uh, and in this one, it's just got that, it almost sounds like the strings are a little bit loose on purpose. And it's just got that real kind of rubbery feel to it, which then lets the sax really drive this song, yeah. which obviously it's one of three instruments there. So there's saxophone on every song, but there's times when his bass really does take the lead. And this is not one of those times, like the bass is there doing some cool stuff. And here the sax is really just, it's pushing this one forward. And I think that's really cool that there's different times, like you said, in the one, sometimes the drummer gets to do some fun, splashy things that really Mm -hmm. takes over. And, you know, how often do you really notice the drums on a lot of rock records? They're pretty much there just to set the tempo and you don't often hear what's going on with them. Uh, And so I think here's when it's a little bit elevated and sure, every once in a while, somebody will bring a sax, you know, to come just kind of fart all over everything at the end of the song. This is another one of those just it's a little bit something different while doing exactly what they do. And it's really cool. Yeah. Track six, Ahead with Wings. And this can be a bit of an earworm for me. Uh, the sax part will just float through my head at various times. Uh, mm. This one, I don't know if they released this one. I don't know if it was a single, but it feels like it should have been. I like this song. This is one of those, if somebody had never heard Morphine before, you could play them this one and I think they would understand exactly what it was they were going to get so it has the and it's 
not quite as up tempo as I think it could be, but it's a fun song. And like I said, the, the sax part just will, will stick into your brain. What do you think about it? Yeah, I completely agree. It is a new worm. I mean, that whole harmonic, that kind of like repeating itself. Like, no, 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 no. Okay, not going to sing it, sorry. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it is it is a new worm that you cannot get it out of your head. Uh, however, uh, one thing, head with wings. We've all been there. Little, much, little too much of whatever you crave too much, and you get head with wings. But here's the thing. The thing that I like about this song the feeling you get from this song is that kind of like a first hand or second hand high, like contact high you can get from the song. Like, like if there is a way how to describe any altered state of my mind, head with wings would nail it. Like, how was you, how was your evening yesterday? Head with wings. Oh, I got it. That kind of thing. Like, it is, it is that effect, uh, situation turned into, into composition. That's, that's how I feel this one. <laughs> Track seven, In Spite of Me. What are your thoughts here? My favorite song of the album. Wow, really? Boldly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, first, uh, it is out of place. Let's say it doesn't belong on this album, but as I mentioned, this album, let's try to see what sticks to the wall. Yeah, again, sticks to the wall. There is a way of kind of like uh, that arrogance to this, uh, to this, uh, to, to Sandman and the whole group. Right? I don't want to kind of pull him out, out in front like a singer-songwriter, etc. But... Uh, the arrogance, the balls of this guy to kind of put this song in this album that has a very clear tone, but again, to kind of uh, complement everything that is in this album, you know, like a pinch of salt in a, in a dark chocolate, that kind of thing. I really like it. And it's a masterfully done. There is like a, sounds like a snippet, but it's a full song. This kind of like mandolin based uh, background, etc., that goes into the song. It works well. I, I really like this song. And I have in my notes that this is the least morphine sounding song on the album. So this is the one that if somebody didn't know morphine, this is not where you would want to start because it would not give them the correct impression. Uh, and it sounds like there's a guitar, but you said maybe a mandolin that's there. I couldn't find any information on uh, other people playing on this track. Uh, but it sounds like a, you know, it sounds like a guitar front and center. And this one, unlike... I'm free now, and this is another mm -hmm. breakup song, but this one is way more nostalgic. It's backward looking. Yeah. Uh, he's saying nicer things about the whole thing. It's more wistful uh, yeah. that he recognizes that there were some, some flaws and some faults, but he still feels proud to have known this person. So it's a fairly mature breakup song that you don't often get anywhere. <laughs> uh, so it is, it is an, a really good tune and if you're looking at it um, on vinyl let's say where this is going to end the first half of the album it makes perfect sense in its placement and like you said this is this was only their second album but that first album and they just so solidified their sound they're just so singular in what they're doing that they're in that place where if they sound too much like their first album they're not growing and if they sound too different then they i don't know sold out or or whatever exactly. whatever insult yeah. you want to throw at them so instead it feels like they just went in and they did what they were going to do and fuck them yeah and that's how you get the song which is a which is a beautiful beautiful song and that brings us to the end of side one of cure for pain from morphine here on i fucking love this record with our special guest kiro nushev kiro how you doing, man? I, we, I know we talked a little bit up at the top about that, but uh, um, I know there's 
a bit of a lockdown. I know there's uh, you know a lack of entertainment all around. Uh, how goes the how goes your stand up comedy these days? Are you still are you still writing? Are you still performing? Are you uh, are you putting on shows or with the with the eye to what was happening? Let's say late last year and what will hopefully be happening later on this year. Are you looking forward to getting back on stage? Oh, definitely. I was considering like putting a post on my Facebook account available for podcasts, that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> I like a, any kind of interaction like with with. Even with virtual audience, yeah. But yeah, as the time goes by, writing and uh, going through back to, through the old material, and <laughs> we are coming to that point. Like, there's so many stuff that cannot be used. This kind of uh, immediacy to this situation uh, kind of will push all of us who are kind of actively writing to to that kind of thing that goes towards more like storytelling, more more providing answers than just. Uh, entertaining as if we're gonna go too deep but yeah that's that's how it looks yeah i miss performing looking forward to whatever happens next there is uh kind of like a uh you know small promise that things will go faster than that we expected you know don't forget that czech republic prague is a uh, is a city and a culture built on going out on beer on that um having fun outside of your confines of your of your place so uh i'm kind of optimistic towards that other than that going through old records and old movies that's how i spend my nights <laughs> uh yeah i haven't been able to catch up quite as much on on older entertainment or even newer entertainment because i do have two kids but it's uh it's nice when they're when they're down and and they get to sometimes pull out the vinyl or or what have you and i picked up this record not that long ago uh, on, a, uh-huh. on beautiful blue vinyl it's gorgeous uh, oh. late last year i picked that one up yes i'll have some pictures of that out on social media when this one runs well i'm looking forward to you being back on stage because that means hopefully that i'll be back on stage and uh, <laughs> i've been i've been missing that as well so now we're going to hear a word from one of our friends i'm brian colburn and i'm jay sweet and we're the co-hosts of tune styles a podcast aimed at the music nerd and us all Each listener interactive episode hones in on a different musical topic or artist. Featuring guest interviews, listener polls, and roundtable discussions about the music that shaped the soundtrack to our lives. You can find us at ToonStylesPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Subscribe to ToonStyles and be a part of our weekly musical conversation. Stay tuned. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we're going to flip this bad boy over. Track eight, Thursday. Hey, everyone, Morphine is back. <laughs> so they sound like themselves again. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, however, the husband is not back yet. So this sounds like a little bit of a, a cheating song. Yeah, and I think this one has been used in a few places in pop culture. So I don't know if it was uh, released as a single, but I think this is one that um, you know you may have heard in the background somewhere. Because I think it's been on a couple of TV shows or it's been on a movie or two. I, I don't have that information right in front of my face. But uh, yeah, so this is one of those, you know, we uh, they used to meet every Thursday for a couple of beers in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, and then things progressed. So this is just, this is the fun party song. This is what you expect from Morphine, uh, especially after track seven. So if you're listening to this on CD or digitally, and uh, I think, again, great placement, I think. One of the things I'm finding that these things that were sequenced with the idea of it being on two sides of vinyl still really work on CD just because it does have that good placement of 
all right, we're going to slow it down here, but then we're going to pick it up back up there. And as long as it isn't too much of a up and down roller coaster, depending on what goes on with, let's say, track six or track nine, uh, it works. It's placed really well. It's a fun, fun song. It's a great way to kick off side two. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I love it. Uh, I think this one was featured in the that uh, David or Russell uh, <laughs> weird movie. I think every movie of David or Russell should have that attribute. Eh, this good weird movie that I made, Spanking the Monkey. This was that kind of like a mid nineties hit, and this was like the opening track or something deep inside. Not sure. Uh, not sure if I watched that movie or it was in the nineties. So I cannot. I, I don't need to recall anything that happened between the start of this century and yeah uh, one thing like yeah it's obvious that it is about cheating etc but at one point uh, last week i was listening to this song like what if what if this song is not factual what is just aspirational what if what is what if this song is a middle-aged man cry for a bit of freedom not full-on cheating but yeah that's the rorschach test of you know <laughs> everybody's mind but it is it is a cheating like even when you hear that kind of like the bridge between verses, uh, when they go from, because this doesn't have a convention, this song doesn't have a, a verse and conventional chorus and uh, whatever, but there is that kind of that crescendo where in those in between fillers, there are so many instruments overproduced and overlap. What I can imagine, I mean, I imagine that, uh, that's what, what's going on in somebody's brain when he's cheating or any kind of other transgression, that kind of like a havoc and chaos going on filled in like presented in music how it would look like track nine cure for pain title track what do you got for me kiro uh, strung out <laughs> strung out and in crisis yeah yeah i got yeah, okay let's not uh, beat around the bush this is uh, addiction song deep into addiction song i know everybody has their own issues crows to bear demons to quick keep quiet and that is the moment like you know in this song i do like to enjoy someone else's darkness not mine what is the the base of this song but uh, this one is i like it but it is sometimes hard to listen there is that kind of like uh, uh, that repetitiveness where is the ritual where is the taste what is the sacrifice and that kind of like uh, it's merged with the bass line and it's almost that uh, elegic crying there is in this song kind of he how he's he producing this whole thing bringing up to that kind of serenading his habit that's how it sounds someday when there will be a cure for pain it can get more obvious than this like i will throw throw my drugs away it is it is a heavy song it is a song that is it's a good song but this is a pause for me and uh, that kind of jump from Thursday, which is kind of <laughs> uh, the, the, like throwing cautions into, caution into wind, uh, cure for pain is something like, okay, let's reassess something. Are you good? <laughs> like after this song, I would call somebody in that kind of situation. <laughs> Everything that Morphine does well is in this song. So musically, lyrically, mood, yeah. it's not the best song, but I can see why they would name the album after this song. If you wanted to play a track for the uninitiated, like if you want to understand what's going on, this is another good one to go to. Um, even though it is a little bit of a, of a, of a downer, <laughs> no pun intended. Mm. So yeah, the idea being that it, when, when he stops hurting in either mentally or physically or spiritually, that's when he'll stop using drugs, which there, there's something to be said about that sentiment. I mean, that's one of the, reasons why people use drugs or alcohol or whatever, you know, to self-medicate. 
you know, not always just for, uh, yeah. for good times. I still really like this one. I, this is, um, it's a, it's a little bit down tempo, uh, especially like you said, after Thursday, but one that I think just shows what they do well. I think this is just a showcase song mm. almost. So if, uh, if you're, you know, buying this from a used record store and you're kind of skipping around, you know, what are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to track, you know, one or two, and then maybe you're going to look for the title track or you're going to look for, you know, something that looks interesting track, just yeah. uh, by, by title. So I think you could, you could do worse than being introduced to this album by this song. Though track 10, Mary Won't You Call My Name, is probably a better one to go to because it's just got that up-tempo opening and the sax that makes it sound like something sketchy's going on but like in the best way possible uh, it has that yeah. effortless cool to it this is another one i just like the, i like the part when they are the uh the chorus and there's just like kind of sometimes the finger snaps or whatever and it just it has almost that mm. like late 50s feel of cool to it like you expect him to be in a leather jacket <laughs> and hair greased up a little bit and Spot on. i just this is a this is a really cool tune what do you think about this one yeah my notes say square dance on methamphetamines <laughs> <laughs> basically i'm I, i'm addressing again the 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 groove in the song this drive that uh, that we have the rhythmical part of this song is it's masterpiece and even the way how he plays it the 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 looping of the whole thing when he quiets down with the mary won't you call my name when he pulls it down uh the next thing is that like uh, there is a good break and there is a jolt of drums that kind of like a jolt of energy that starts very on on the even on the even tempo part, it's amazing. That kind of like, beautifully. Like, there is there is that quality to this song that is almost orchestral. Like, I know, there are only three of them, but it looks very well meticulously rehearsed and timed. Great song, masterpiece. And what about track 11, Let's Take a Trip Together? As the title of the song says, <laughs> Let's Take a Trip Together. This one is very... Uh, it's a you know sleepy rhythmic very uh, first time I hear in this song this the echo of the melody which kind of goes to that kind of overdubbing uh, thing that you don't have throughout this whole album because you have if you can say something about this album the sound is very jazz informed it's very clean there is no there are some overdubs and kind of like snippets in this one but this one is the whole song is exactly overdubbed with backing vocals it, it has that kind of like a feeling that is very trippy very very suggestive i mean even if you if you scratch the title of the song if you call this song i don't know uh, sheila number two uh, you will kind of go back go to that kind of uh, conclusion yeah it's a trippy song and the other feeling that they have there is that very again i think <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to tie it down to the previous one, but there is a vaudevillian character, and whenever we say vaudevillian character to the song, immediately my mind goes Tom Waits and that kind of experimentation that go there. It is informed by something before, but I, I don't want to ruin this album going digging like that deep into what it is. It is what it is. It is. Uh, it's a good song. It's really slow and dreamy. Yeah. Uh, I like the way he approaches the vocal on this one, which is a little bit different than what he does. Typically, though, this is a, a style he will employ a few times every record because he's got a great voice. He's got this really deep baritone and the way he writes lyrics and the way he approaches them sometimes has this very, I just woke up from a very deep dream. I wrote things down and I got in front of a microphone. So it's got that very kind of 
dreamy quality often, even when he's singing more up-tempo. And then when you get him kind of doing this slow, languid thing, it really emphasizes that particular aspect of his voice. And it's got some cool lyrics and, you know, so it's, you know, this is not a, this is not a trip to, uh, to the countryside for, uh, for a picnic. <laughs> That's not what they're talking about here, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and I know that, uh, that Mark Sandman supposedly was not a, a hard drug user. Uh, I think like everybody, I'm sure he experimented here and there. And I know he died on stage, uh, at a relatively young age. I think he was what, 48, 49 years old, something like that uh, of a heart attack. Uh, and I've never seen anything that specifically attributed that to drugs. Uh, and obviously here we're talking about psychedelics as opposed to any type of, uh, uh, more more hard drug, but this is a this is a yeah. type of song you'll hear on almost all the records where he's got that just slow and dreamy. Uh, I think on on the night that the um, rope on fire is the one that I I really like that is in a similar style to this one. Track twelve, Sheila, and Sheila starts with this really steady rhythm uh, that almost seems like a song you could learn how to dance to at a house party. Mm. with a girl who's too pretty for you, but you've had just enough mm. beer in you to let her help you box step until it all goes a little bit off and either the spell is broken or you're making out behind a bookshelf or something. Uh, is there a double entendre? You know, probably. It's American rock music. Is Sheila's cat ever really just about a cat? Of course not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, This is such a great song so much. What do you think about this one? This is, uh, again, that infectious groove kind of goes into the whole story that you mentioned. It is a seduc seduction, it is a suggestive, and what better way to do that than funk, funk it up, that kind of thing. I, in my notes, I kind of put this one, uh, I call this song The Sister of Buena. It is, we're talking about the second song and uh, 12th song, which are the, like the big, uh, second, second to the last, and uh, it's kind of like... If you put aside the experiments that we mentioned, the intro, and now we're going to talk about the Miles Davis funeral, these are the bookends to this album. And that's why it's kind of like a, there is the relation between this song and Buena. It's uh, beginning and the end. That's why I see the beginning of the end of the morphine sound. The other two things are two other things. And I really like this song. It, it has that kind of like a infectious... I think it was a name of a band. That's why I'm not trying not to use Infectious Groove, but it is uh, throughout this song. There was a band, Infectious Groove, Violent and Funky. There was a single yeah, from yeah. them. Okay, that's my next <laughs> listen. Yeah, definitely. I think I have a couple of their CDs around here somewhere. I haven't listened to that in a very long time. Uh, it has Suicidal Tendencies connection, if I remember correctly. Yeah. The, is it is it Tindercat, the connection between those two bands? Maybe. Okay. You understand where is my night's gonna progress after this comment, so <laughs> <laughs> it's obvious. Infectious groove slash suicide tendency, Tindercat, and it's gonna be all clear. That's why we're going back to the base. <laughs> Thundercat, Tindercat. Our final track, as you've mentioned a few times, Miles Davis's funeral. What do you think about this one? Yeah, it's a it's a tribute. It's a, apparently the song is written on the day of the Miles Davis funeral, and it's basically part of this whole vibe in this album uh, just running tracks and experimenting with sonic scapes with background with with painting a picture as it is kind of abundance of mixed feelings because there is obviously that influence to all these three guys that comes from the jazz music and you know when the godfather of the genre dies 
this is the song that you sit down and create. It is it is a very adequate tribute to what we're talking about here. Closing on an instrumental for me can be a little bit hit or miss. Sometimes it sometimes that really works mm. and sometimes it feels lazy. <laughs> this is one of those times <laughs> that it works. And like you said, the album finishes the way it started. So we have these bookends. So we have instrumental really up to up up tempo track and we have an up tempo track and then closing with the instrumental uh they do a lot of different things in there so i i like the song but it, as far as instrumentals go i don't have a whole lot to say about it it's obviously a tribute and there's no real question why they would be writing a tribute to him uh you know if you've paid any attention to the record at all it just it's one of those that just makes sense so that closes it up but uh what about your final thoughts here I cannot, uh, I cannot advocate more for this album for anybody who kind of skipped this one or here's first time for the band, for the Morphin. I mean, I would recommend like forget for a second for good, start with this album and go back to this one. This is basically a quintessential 90s band. I mean, tragedy in, its, in the whole thing is that the fact the band literally first album is beginning of the 90s and the tragic death of Mark Sandman is 1999 somewhere north of rome a festival i know about this festival because i was actually planning to go there uh it didn't came through whatever luckily because it would be devastating as a fan i was at that time when this was happening and uh this is i'm not saying these these are just a 90s bit they have very unique sound they're very idiosyncratic but these types of album could be produced only in the 90s this kind of structure this discussion that we talk about uh the thought the, the, the amount of thinking that went into what is the first what is the last song this the whole telling entire story throughout the song and uh let's not underestimate the fact that you know mark sandman this is his first or no third or second second or third band and prior to that he was like a touring musician and he's a exceptionally good storyteller so even if it's just for the poetry, let's for a second imagine that the music is unimportant, which is not, it's it's a worth a listen. I would, you know, advocate for many more albums from the 90s, but this is one of those that yeah, it, it, it needs some love. It needs attention, even, you know, how much? 25 years after? No, 30 years after. It still still holds holds up as it is for me. And I, if we go deep in the whole thing, that is that... Uh, that 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 sound that merger between the jazz and the virtuosity of playing instruments all the, those things uh play to this formula that is according to me evergreen album that is still holds water it's still interesting and it's, i still keep finding stuff in it that i was kind of aware but was not aware of them and yeah those are my thoughts on this album yeah, it's interesting when you say that this is a quintessential 90s band. They, their entire career was in the 90s. I know Mark Sandman was in a different band before that called Treat Her Right. I don't know if he recorded anything for any bands before then, but I think that was his first. And I think he was only, it was, it was one of those bands that had more than one lead singer. They would switch up if I remember correctly. So I have, I have one of their CDs somewhere and it's good, but mainly I like, it's one of those I listen to it. And then I throw in morphine because I prefer it. <laughs> this is really just a fantastic record. And while the entirety of their career was in the 90s, I think they have a very singular sound. This is something that I think one of my favorite illustrations of this, I was listening to this album on Spotify, preparing for the podcast. And when the album was done, Spotify will kick into like playlists 
territory. It'll just start playing random things afterwards. Now, and this I'm, I'm used to. So uh, I listen to the Afghan wigs quite a bit. And anytime one of their albums ends and it kicks into that playlist thing, you know, I know I'm going to hear Dinosaur Jr. and I'm going to hear Pavement and I'm going to hear Grantly Buffalo. And there's a handful of things I just know are going to come. The playlist that came on after Morphine, it was like even Spotify's algorithm doesn't quite know what to do with it. Because directly after it, I think was something from Minor Threat and then, and then something from Tom Waits in the 1970s. <laughs> uh, and then everything after that was just almost a little bit weirder th- than the next. And it was fantastic. I really, that was one of my favorite just add-ons after an album, because even then they weren't quite sure what to do with this band. Uh, the minor threat, I understand the influences. Uh, somewhere I read that uh, Les Claypool, out of all people, kind of uh, mentions Mark Sandman as his influence. Mm-hmm. Les Claypool from Primus. So this is a, a fantastic record uh, by a fantastic band. I think, I know some people are hit or miss with like swimming, which I really enjoy. You'll probably see an episode of this show featuring the night at some point in the in the near future i hope because i really love that one as well it's a fucking great record i'm glad that we got to talk about it it was uh, interesting again taking this in just as an album by itself for all my listeners out there if you are interested in maybe co-hosting an episode with me drop me a line at love this record at gmail.com send me a list of your favorite records and tell me one that you'd like to talk about or you can go to my website and see my wish list. So that's love this record at, oh, just lovethisrecord.com. Uh, and there's a, a wish list there of things I'd like to talk about. See if we can find some crossover appeal. And hey, let's do this thing. In the meantime, Kiro, thank you so much for coming back on the show, for taking the time. I know we've had a, a, a couple of uh, uh, near misses with this one. So I'm glad we were able to, uh, to make it done. Uh, thanks for coming to the show we'll talk to you again sometime soon and goodbye thank you and goodbye thank you for listening to I fucking love this record if you would like to co-host an episode contact me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com this and every episode can be found on my website lovethisrecord.com if you would like to follow us on Facebook it's Love This Record Twitter and Instagram Love This Record 1 music provided by The Ashes of Grissom and thanks as always to original patron Mark Evers please remember to subscribe like and review and we'll see you next time it's